The preceding message is brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Stay tuned after this message for more information about Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. So the first question um, says, what kind of prayer do we pray as believers when all we have to do is receive what grace has made available? And I think the second one also is similar. It says, someone once told me that the prayer we are supposed to pray as believers is only for souls. So what kind of prayer do we now pray as believers? (laughs) Praise God. Well, uh, yes, grace has provided uh, everything, or Christ has died. The Bible says in Romans 8.32, God, who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not, along with him, NIV, uh, give us all things? So the teaching is when God gave Jesus, along with Jesus, he gave us everything. Paul speaks of it in Ephesians 1, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Right? But the truth is, as a believer, yes, there are things that have been provided with Christ. But, for example, I need direction from God. I can't go to God and say, Father, uh, uh, Christ has died. Or You can still ask God for direction. James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. There are prayers in the New Testament. Paul prayed for the eyes of people to be opened. So there are still things we ask God for. So prayer is still important for the believer. Asking God. Uh, there's a place in scripture where Paul spoke about Epaphroditus who was sick unto death. I said God had mercy on him and on, on him also. So I believe that even as believers we can still talk to God in prayer. Even though Christ has provided um, for us everything by his death. Uh, uh, thank you for that question. Uh, number one, uh, a major a major part of our prayer life in the New Testament is praying in the Spirit. And, you know, praying in the Spirit literally is praying the will of God. And Paul says something. He said, I pray. Talking about his prayer, his prayer life in the Spirit. He said, I pray more than ye all. Referring to a whole church at Corinth. So there's a lifestyle of prayer we've been called to. Because literally, uh, prayer is a position is a, a deliberate position for grace. If my people who are called by my name, we humble themselves and pray. The Bible says it gives grace to the humble. So in prayer, you are positioning for grace. So prayer, I mean, your, your revelation of grace does not nullify your prayer life. Now, there's a, I often say this, that a major part of the prayer of a new creation who is under grace is the prayer of thanksgiving which is in the acknowledgement of the finished work of redemption. But that does not mean there are not other kinds of prayer. There's a prayer of casting of cares, which is a prayer that leads you to the place of rest. And rest is the mood of grace. So there's casting of prayer. There's a prayer of intercession, which is made on behalf of others. You stand in the gap of others, which is very much relevant in the New Testament. There's a prayer of supplication which speaks of an intense, earnest prayer, which a lot of times is expressed in the spirit. Because in the name of supplication, we don't engage in repetition. We are conscious of what Jesus has done, and we are not begging. 
We are placing a demand on what is ours. There's a difference between a son coming to his father asking for what he knows is rightfully is as compared to a slave. Are you listening to me? Approaching his master, not knowing whether or not he will be given. So prayer is still very much a major part of the new covenant or the new creation lifestyle. And, uh, and, you know, let me add this. You know, one of the reasons why it's so important for you to pray in the Spirit a lot is praying in the Spirit gives you an opportunity to download divine wisdom. And that's why when you pray in the Spirit, you should pray with the consciousness of there's, all, there's an interpretation that follows most of the time, which is literally the download of the wisdom of God for the situation you are dealing with. Are, are you following me? So, I mean, there's a bunch of prayer. Can I take you wrote a book on the, on the different, I mean, what's the name of the book again? The Art of Prayer, which is still relevant. Very much. So our understanding of grace does not stop us from praying. Just to add a bit to that, um, in 2 Corinthians um, 12, where Paul spoke about the thorn in his flesh. I don't know what that is. Many people have thought what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's not good. And Paul said, I asked the Lord. Three times. Three times. So, <laughs> Paul is the one who taught us grace. And he prayed. Paul taught us finished work. <laughs> Paul prayed. So, please pray. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, I have two questions here that are along the same line. So, I'm just going to take the two of them together. So, the first one says, sir, so why would or for which reason will a person go to hell? If Christ has forgiven our past, previous, and future sins. Then the second person asks, according to what was said, that when Jesus died, he took away the sins of those that were dead, and also the sins of those that were living, and the sins of those that were yet to be born. Does it mean that if I don't accept Christ, my sins are still taken away? Okay, let me, I talked about, let me try to answer that. Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Everybody has been forgiven, but not everybody has received forgiveness. Hmm. And that's why we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel so people can receive forgiveness. If you look at Acts 26 verse 18, when God called Paul and gave Paul his commission, Acts 26 verse 18, I don't know if you can show it on the projector. Acts 26 verse 18, he said, uh, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive. So it's in the preaching of the gospel that people receive forgiveness. Now, those who don't receive forgiveness by not believing the gospel will face judgment when Jesus comes back. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Can we say that please? Second Thessalonians chapter 1, I think. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Okay, keep going, please. Okay, keep going. Okay, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Continue. Which is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Continue. 
Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Uh-huh. And to give you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. To do what? Go on. Go on, please. In flaming fire, to take vengeance on who? Those who do not know God and those who do not obey. Now, the word obey does not obey of thou shalt not obey. It obey actually is believe. Believe, that's right. So, those who have not believed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is that he born you again. And when he born you again, those, that nature of Adam that made you live the way you used to live, you no longer have it. You now have the Christ life. So you now do those things from the inside that please him. So those who are going to hell are those who have not obeyed the gospel. That's why we preach the God. Let me show that to you. One more thing. Romans 10. Romans 10, I think it's from verse 14, 15. Romans 10, please. Okay. Let go up a bit for 13. Beautiful. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be. So when we say everybody's forgiven, doesn't mean everybody's saved. Forgiveness does not mean you are saved. You have forgiveness has been provided by the death of Jesus. Receiving forgiveness is what gets you saved. So look at this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Next verse. How shall they call? On him on whom they have not believed. How shall they believe in whom of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Go on. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good, ty- of glad tidings of good things. Go on, please. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has what? So can you see that believing the gospel is obeying the gospel? And those who go to hell are those who have not obeyed the gospel by not believing the gospel. Thank you very much, sir. All right. So this is directed um, um, at Dr. K. It says, where anointing for ministry is concerned, can one rest solely on the truth of what Christ rests can one rest solely on the truth of what grace has made available for impartation? Or, no, sorry, let me take it. Can one rest solely on the truth of what grace has made available? Or, impartation from other men of God is also necessary? By the way, the impartation from other men of God is still the work of grace. There is no anointing on any man of God on the surface of the heart that is self-acquired. If anyone is anointed, it's because he's anointed by the Lord. It's still the work of grace. I believe one of the SSCs that came with the, the movement, the movement of the, you know, the gang of fools, is the, the, this abuse of ministry gifts. The ministry gifts still have their roles. Jesus was actually a ministry gift. It was grace revealed, but he was standing in an office of a ministry gift. Now, grace can be communicated through ministry gifts. Are you getting my point? And it's the same Holy Spirit 
supplying grace for you personally, that is still supplying grace through the ministry gifts that he has placed you. And as a member of the body of Christ, for you to be in order, you need to be aligned to a ministry gift at least. You ought to be part of a local church who has that I was as a pastor. Then God can even connect you to other ministry in form of partnership, even apart from your local church. And through all these channels, grace is being released onto your life. So it's still the same grace of God. Because when you are talking about grace, the administrator of grace is the Holy Spirit. So he's the one that anoints your pastor, he's the one that anoints the guest minister, and he's the one that anoints you personally. So it's still grace being released through the spirit of grace. Okay. It says, sir, you mentioned that faith can become works. Can you explain a little more on it and how it can be prevented? Uh, there's an orientation now. I, I came out of the word of faith background, and I'm excited about my heritage. Word of grace and word of faith are not fighting. They are the same. It's, Romans chapter 4 verse 16 says, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So faith and grace, they complement each other. But they, I've come to realize this, that when people teach faith without a strong foundation of grace, you know, if, there's a way you can turn faith to works. Because the, 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 the foundation of faith is the fact that Jesus has finished it. All you need to do is receive it. What we call believing is literally receiving. John chapter 1 verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave the power to become, even to those that believe in his name. So receiving is believing. So believing is literally receiving. So there's a way you can get into all the steps and make faith about formula. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. If you do all the steps, you will get the result. That's not the way it works. Now, earlier on, I was sharing with us uh, along the line that there are so many miracles in the gospel that were literally initiated by grace. You know, we, are, we often use the example of the woman with the issue of blood that she was the one that initiated that miracle process through her faith. But what about the man by the pool of Bethesda? She was not even aware of anything called faith. The man was at a frustrated I mean, place in, in, in his life because he felt he had no help. All of a sudden, Grace showed up and said, do you want to be made whole? And the, re- the moment Grace released that word, there was a package, there was faith in the package. Faith was impacted because there was no way he would have received without faith. But the amazing thing was that the grace communicated the faith. Exactly. The grace communicated the faith. You know, he says something that blessed me so much when he started speaking. He says something that the hearing, the hearing of the word of grace communicates faith. Are you getting my point? When you hear. Now, the reason why faith is not being battered yeah. in the hearts of many people is that what they're hearing is not the good news. Good news naturally yes, yes, generates faith because grace is meant to be complemented by faith yes, so it's not like you're going to be looking for faith the hearing itself 
communicates faith. That's why the Bible says they came to hear yes. and to be healed. Because in the process of hearing, faith was released and they got healed. Yes. Hallelujah. Awesome, sir. Okay, so Reverend Wale Ajayi mentioned while giving illustration about the law and grace concerning marriage. So this is a uh, question on marriage. He said, as long as a spouse is alive, the other cannot remarry. So number one, number one is, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of offense can a spouse commit to make either of them put the other away? Number one B. Will it be a sin if the other remarries when the spouse is still alive? Number one C. If the other remarries, does grace still cover such? Let me see. There's one D. Okay, no one D. You can. You know, there's a joke I need to give now. Two people were arguing in worry about um, sun and moon. One said this is the sun. The other said this is the moon. Then, like in worry, they say, okay, let's ask somebody. They say, bros, I'll be waiting for this. Now, someone now, Monica, guys, I don't stay in this area. Sir, <laughs> 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 so, I don't stay in this area. Uh, when it, the issue of marriage, I leave it to Pastor K and Pastor Tunde. Uh, this is King's Word International. Uh, this is the Church of God mission. So, and the, the way that question even made it to the point of it being announced, that must be supernatural in itself. Because the questions we are supposed to be answering are questions related to the teaching of grace. So apparently, this person wants some answers along the line of marriage. Ah, okay. I'm tempted not to answer. But first of all, you are supposed to walk in love with your spouse. Now, I mean, when it comes to upgrade, you don't upgrade spouse unless you are planning to upgrade the existing one, not in terms of replacements. No, it's a different thing if your spouse now walks away. The scripture says if the unbeliever wants to go. And I've seen cases where a believer starts acting like an unbeliever. So even if a believer chooses to act like an unbeliever and walks away, you are free. But Hallelujah. Thank you. Uh, so, I'm a believer in the fact that you should fight for your relationship. If you're already married, I mean, just believe God for the wisdom to deal with it. When it's more about one party chooses to walk away, you can't hold him. You can't hold him. I know some people, a lot of people are frustrated in their marriage, but walking away is never the solution. Because you don't know, the one you are walking into... Everybody forms and packages, especially when they reach a particular age, you know. But <laughs> so your your so-called upgrade might, not, might actually be, you know, an upgrade into hell. So, so I'm of the belief. I mean, I'm of, I mean, let's believe God that you know grace will work on both of you, because that is your perspective. We wish we can have our perspective too, or maybe it's, it's she that's asking the question. Maybe she too is frustrated. But the first thing remains, I mean, we trust God, we walk in love, and you know, things get better. Is that clear? But I rather prefer grace-centered questions. Praise God. Okay, we'll take a question online. This person says, why do some Christians still hustle despite abundance of grace? 
doesn't mean we have to hustle then abundance of grace will now locate us and help us as yours because some people just say the grace is sufficient for them okay well if you if you mean hustle as by work you have to work grace doesn't say you shouldn't work mm. right so Please go and work. You know, the Bible says that doesn't work, should not eat. Yes, so. So go and work. Uh, there's no scripture that supports laziness. Grace is not uh, laziness. Grace uh, tells you what Christ has done for you, what Christ has provided for you by his death, burial, and resurrection. But it doesn't say uh, sit down and wait for money to fall from heaven. So doesn't, there's no connection between um, the grace of God and laziness. Right, but let me bring up something which I think should be the question that should have been asked. Uh, why is it that upon the grace of God and the kindness of God, many believers still struggle with um, their lives, not living the blessed life? Not living the blessed life. That is a scripture that I want to show you Galatians chapter 3, I think it's verse 10. Galatians 3 and verse 10. Okay, this is it. You know, the book of Galatians was written to people who were, uh, who had, Paul had preached to them the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Paul said in verse 1 here, it says, who had bewitched you, uh, to whom Christ was graphically set forth as crucified. So in other words, I preached the gospel to you such that it's as if you were standing right there when Jesus died. Now, so people came from Jerusalem and began to, uh, tell them about how they must be circumcised, how they must be uh, obey the laws for them to be saved. And Paul had to go and say, oh, foolish Galatians who have bewitched you and all of that. Now, so he was talking to people who were trying to mix law and grace. And there's nothing, nothing as uh, painful or that's not painful. There's nothing that weakens a substance or the potency of a substance like mixture. The mixture is very dangerous. It looks like it, but it's not it. So Paul was warning about the mixture here. Now, so in Galatians 3 verse 10, he says something very important. Go to verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are what? Under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things are written in the book of the law to do them. So listen to this. There's a scripture where God says, I think it's in Numbers or somewhere, it says, I lay before you life and death. Blessing and curses. You know, in those days, we thought it was heaven and hell. But now we know. It was showing them, choose works or grace. That if you stay on the work side, you come under the curse. Because cursed is everyone that does not continue in all the things that the law says. So, why many believers struggle is that they step out of the blessed side into the cursed side. When they refuse to appropriate and receive what grace has provided. And you put grace aside and think that you can do it by yourself. So that's why verse 5 warns. It says, he that supplied the spirit and works miracles amongst you. Do you think he does it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So believers, many believers struggle because you are not in the place, the blessed side, the place where you can receive. You are still thinking you can do it by yourself. And when you do that, you step out of the blessed side. Christ has become a curse for us. Is that true? Christ has become a curse for us. And that's very important because it's not just that Jesus died. It's how he died. He could have died by shooting, by 
uh, <laughs> they could have stabbed him, could have stoned him to death, but that's what they do at that time. But Jesus died on the tree because the scripture said the one who dies on the tree is the one who is a cost of God. That's why he had to die on the cross. And dying on the cross means God had cursed him. Now, so that in exchange of the curse, the blessing comes upon us. Now, as believers in Christ, we can never be cursed because we are blessed already. The only reason why a man can curse you and it will work is if God has cursed you. And when I, when I say curse, I don't mean, um, like we say in Benin, you decrease, you demand. No. That's not curse is enchantment, spell, hex, magic, uh, voodoo, all that stuff. It can't work. You know why? Because God has not cursed you. The only why, ma, reason why man's curse can work in your life is if God has cursed you. So man's curse must find God's curse to attach itself to, to work in your life. And if God has not cursed you, then any curse is a waste of time. That's why, that's why, that's why he said to um, um, Cain, Cain said, now, because you have cursed me, anybody who sees me will kill me. So you and us believers are blessed of God because of what Christ has done. But when we now shift from what Christ has done and lift what he has, leave what he has done and start depending on self-effort, we leave the blessed side and come to the cause. Let me tell you one story before I, an example. Imagine that, uh, imagine that, uh, let's assume that your husband and wife, assume. Let's assume your best, I don't know what, what's your best food, what do you like to eat? Rice and beans. And Rice and beans, beans. I like it. So imagine she's your wife. She wants to cook rice and beans for you. She went to the market. Let's say she went to the market close by to prepare the rice and beans. On her way, she fell in the market when she was trying to buy things for you. She got home. As she was trying to cut the thing, she cut her hand. Huh? As she was trying to get the pot, her hands, her hands got burnt. Just because you must eat your rice and beans. Then you come home. Honey, your food is ready. Say, no, I've, uh, I, want, I want to eat bread. <laughs> I fell. I cut my hand. I burnt my hand. You want to eat bread? Have you heard of bread, rice, and beans burger? <laughs> That's what we do when we ignore the sacrifice of Christ. So what breaks the hedge is not sin. What breaks the hedge is ignoring the sacrifice of Christ. Hallelujah. I've never seen a more angry Paul than the Paul that was expressed to the book of Galatians. And why was he so angry? Because some folks came and, you know, turned the minds of the people he has discipled in grace. Turned them around. He placed a curse on whosoever if whosoever does that just to so show how how dangerous it is to insult the spirit of grace now 
Greater love has no man than this, than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. You now treat that so lightly. And you revert back to that mindset of living by the law. That's abusive. There cannot be a greater abuse on the person of God. That is why, you know, people, people you know, you know when, when, you, when you use that phrase, mischief, I preached recently, I uh, was in London on the revelation of Jesus, and I was talking about the mixture of the law and grace. That's one of the most dangerous places you can be. If you want to do grace, then go grace. All this one step in grace, but that's the sad part is the greater part of the charismatic movement than that mixture, and it's so sad. We claim we are under the new covenant, and yet we think like the old covenant. Are you listening to me? I mean, I've seen people nearly almost fighting to defend the relevance of faithfulness. And and I'm like, you don't get it. Nobody is saying you should not be faithful. But ladies and gentlemen, if you put your faithfulness ahead of the faithfulness of God, you are in trouble. Can you imagine I want to pray and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, you know I pay my tithes. I don't miss service. I pray three times a day. You have become a Muslim already. <laughs> and that's what Islam is built around. Works. My friend came from a Muslim background. He's a pastor. He's Sadiq. So he knows what I'm talking about. It's works. You are a Pentecostal Muslim brother. No, on the more serious note, let's be real. <laughs> I mean, nobody is saying you should not be faithful. Nobody is saying you should not give. Nobody is saying you should not do all these wonderful things, including walking in holiness that we're talking about. Yeah. But that's not the basis of your acceptance. You are accepted in Christ Jesus oh. ever before you did anything right. So it's not what you do right that makes you. It's your nature. You were born. He born you again. Born. Ever before my child did anything right, he was my child. Before he could run any errand for me, before he could do anything for me. I, in fact, I treated him so nice. All of a sudden, he's now grown and he thinks it's what he does that makes me do stuff for him. What have you done? Were you there when your diapers were being changed? Did you know what was going on there? You were there, but you didn't know what was going on. There's nothing that boy can do that can outweigh what I've done. So it's never based on what he does. It's based on what I've done. So your relationship with God should not be centered around what we do. Now, there are fruits of righteousness that would bear. But that is not the basis of our relationship. Because I've seen people argue about, you know, these grace people, they talk against faithfulness. Nobody is talking against faithfulness. All we're saying is we, we, we approach God based on what Jesus did, not what we are doing. 
We, are we going to do good stuff? Of course. Because we are not bastards. Because we will bear fruits. Because grace is a fruitful, is a fruitful husband. It's the kind of husband that once you marry, you, you give back to triplets, anything you want to give back to, he will let you give back. Are you getting my point? But that, the fruit is really, before even you start giving back, he loved you. I'll just throw one point about that. Um, we are saved by grace. But when it comes to rewards, when he comes back, mm-hmm. it's by works. That's right. So that's why we do the things we do. Mm-hmm. When we are faithful, it's because of the reward when he comes back. You say, I behold, I come quickly and my reward with me. So keep being faithful. But don't think you come to God on that basis. But your faithfulness has an implication. When he comes back, your reward is going to come with him. And at the same time, it's not those works yes. that get you to heaven. No, no. Let's, I mean, I know, of course, I know Pastor yeah. Valley knows it, but I know somebody is also nodding his hands. <laughs> Let me clarify Let me that. Is the reward, the reward, now, and by the way, now, listen, it's not, your, your salvation is not per second. Yes, sir. <laughs> You've done right. You miss it. <laughs> you have repented. I turned it back. I'm not. You are glad. That's not the way it works. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Glory. I'm glad. I know somebody is not going to be happy with me, but I'm glad. I'm glad. I remember when I got saved in 1988, and you know, I went to this. I was doing my A levels. Was it 87, 88? There about. I, was, I went to A levels fellowship, and that brother came up. He said, "You call yourself a child of God." I just said, watching late night movie. Can you imagine if Jesus comes right there where you're watching? Where do you think we are going? Hell, hellfire. He did not even ask what kind of late night movie I'm watching. It can be John the Baptist and Jesus. <laughs> and there's also this thing, it's not in the question, but I'm going to throw it in. This thing about if you sin and you have not confessed it and Jesus comes, you will go to heaven. That's my answer. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) these are some of the things that have been taught for years that have put people in bondage. And everybody is packaging and forming and pretending and living in fear. So I say, ah, somebody went to heaven, you were sent back. Because there was somebody that offended him that he did not forgive. I know some of you have had some, some horrific testimonies like that. Maybe that person ate something at night before he slept. That's why he had that vision. But that is not consistent with the gospel. Are you listening to me? Now, is this to encourage living in sin? No. But this is the truth of God's word. Thank God for the generation before us. Thank God for their light. God has shed more lights. And we ought to walk in freedom. Yes. We're talking about true righteousness and what? Holiness. Are you listening to me? Yes, so, I mean, and you know, there's another thing I want to throw in, which is, you know, this is an opportunity to deal with certain things that have held people in bondage. This thing that on that day, many shall come. I did this in your name. And he said something. I know you not. Remember, he said, I know you not. I never knew you. 
he never born them. Do you know there are people that hang around with us in church, but he never born them? I knew a man in Atlanta. This man, you know, he's one of those men that he, he just like Christian people. You know, married a Christian woman, joined a Christian church. His children were growing up in the Christian church, and he became a deacon in a Christian church, but he was not a Christian. How did I know? I went, I went for Crevodollar's Dollars Conference several years ago, so since they were in town, so I went to spend, in fact, they were going to Crevodola Church then. Wow. So I went to spend some time with them during the break time, and we got talking. And he mentioned a particular name, one controversial person in Nigeria. And I said, ah, I'm kind of concerned, I'm not sure. He said, no, look at the works of the man, it's what matters. And I said, ah, works of the man. He said, let me tell you, there are so many ways to God. <laughs> wow. I was wow. shocked. Wow. And this is a man I've known for over 10 years. Wow. He was never a Christian. Yes, sir. He's just one of these conservative, you know, moral, morally sound, but he maintains his own ideology about God. It's about your works. Many ways to God. There are many ways to God. It's what he said when you are doing good works, then God accepts you. I was shocked. There are many people in our churches like that. They were never saved. They were never saved. Now this chair is coming to church, but never burning. So coming to church does not. I mean, in fact, you met you met it in church. So there's a difference between somebody who is saved because there are scriptures like that that people have lifted to create fear. And listen, there were things that he said to Jews. They, are, they were not directed at new creations. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And th- those are the scriptures that they lift most of the time exactly. to create fear. Exactly. On that day, he was talking to Jews. A good number of the things he said, Matthew 22, 23, 24, he was not directed at new creations. He was directed at what? Jews who did not receive him. Because majority of them did not receive him. They said, we are children of Abraham. He said, you, you are not children of Abraham. The devil is your father. Even his own brothers did not believe him. It was after he had resurrected that his brother now got saved. So God did not burn his brother. They did <laughs> until, of course, nobody was saved, technically. But some people believed in him even before he went to the cross. But his brother did not believe in him. So, in as much as, I mean, we know it's our responsibility. Holiness is the responsibility of a new creation. Are you listening to me? It's your responsibility. I mean, one of the reasons, you know, he gave, he gave a powerful reason why you should walk in holiness too. So, so, so that you, you, will, you will, interesting enough, is part of what I wrote down, you know, to, to fulfill your purpose. Paul says something in Acts chapter 20 verse 24. He said, none of these things moved me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself that I may fulfill my ministry with joy to testify the gospel to, to, the gospel, to, to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, there's such a thing as being committed. I'm, I mean, I left pharmacy to do this thing. I will not allow one year yes sin to distract me. Never. 
Knowing fully well that I'm forgiven does not mean I will still be messing around with sin. Why? Why will I do that to myself? Why? And a lot of times, you know, the reason, you know, the reason why you see Christians living in sin is primarily because they are starving. They are starving. And that's why I tell, I mean, thank God there are a good number of pastors here. I'll tell pastor, your responsibility when you stand behind the pulpit is to feed primarily. Yes, sir. It's just sad that when we're supposed to be feeding, a lot of us are condemning. Because if it's not word of his grace, it's not food. He said, I will raise shepherds after my heart who will feed. He saw Peter and he asked him, do you love me? He said, yes. He said, feed my sheep. If there's anything Jesus is so much interested in, in our dispensation, is the feeding of the sheep. So our focus should be feeding. Because when the sheep are fed, their nature will blossom. This thing will flow out. You will come into what I call accidental holiness. Are you getting my point? You will, you will do it. The nature, the seed is already there. It's just about feeding the sheep. When you feed the, the seed, the seed will grow. It's natural. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 2 says, he makes me to, that's the first thing the shepherd does. He makes me to lie down. Can you say lie down again? Rest. Rest in green pasture. A combination of food and rest. Lie down in green pasture. You know, the, you get the best of God when you are in a rest mode. In John chapter 6, Jesus was about to multiply. Oh. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Okay, we are not distracted. It cannot be a distraction. <laughs> Reverend Wally Ajayi's wife just walked into the house. You're welcome. Okay. So, you know, uh, you, you know, pastors in the house, listen to me. The, you know, the, my heart for convening this conference is to have my sons and daughters in ministry understand their job yeah. where ministry is concerned. Your pulpit should be dedicated to the communication of the word of his grace yes, so that people can come in and feed. You know, there are a bunch of things we are trying to teach people that should come naturally when they are well fed. Now, do people come to your service fed? You know, when they are fed, ministry will come out. Someone say, I don't have enough people responding to ministry. You are not feeding them. You are crushing them. Every time they come, you crush them, you crush them. You know, they won't blossom until they are fed. Feed my sheep. Not harass my sheep. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build. The word of his grace builds naturally. He produces faith naturally, which is able to build you and give you inheritance among them that are sanctified. There's a flow when your pulpit is dedicated to grace. 
They, you know, faith will be natural. Miracle. You, you, miracles will flow. They came to hear and to be healed. What were they hearing? Grace. It was grace revealed. Faith. You know, there's no way grace will be communicated and faith will not be released. You know, all this mechanical faith, step one, step two, step three, step four, will not be necessary. Faith rises up in people's hearts when grace is effectively communicated. So we produce fruits as we lie down in green pastures, well-fed. These things will come out. You know, the things you used to struggle with, you just realize it's no longer a struggle. Yes, because when you're talking about, you know, I remember, you know, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 20, I see 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 27, I put under my body. Now, you know, there's a way you can try to do it with willpower. Mm-hmm. Body, come on that now. No. No. <laughs> it's not a mechanical thing. It's not a mechanical. Now, the, the process of your body coming under is literally about the elevation of your spirit. Yes, sir. Once your spirit, say with me, say, I am a spirit, I, am a spirit. I, have, a soul, I have a soul, and I live in a body. You know, when you live like you are a spirit, how do you live like a spirit? When you, feed, when you make the feeding of your spirit the primary focus, that's living like a spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, automatically, the flesh will line under. If you feed the body, the flesh will lie under. You know, when we're talking about the flesh, it's literally a combination of the, the soul and the body. They will come under. But if the spirit is not fed as it should, and how do you feel the spirit? You feed the spirit with the word of his grace. Of his grace. When you listen to teachings on the gift of righteousness, abundance of grace, that you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. There's an elevation of the spirits. I've shared this testimony with you about I think one of my mentees. Who, who, I mean, this even happened in Canada. Somebody joined his church, used to be in chain smokers, and you know, joined the church. So came to the pastor, said, Pastor, I have a problem. So, you know, I'm born again now. He born me again, you know. And you know, <laughs> but there's a problem. I'm still smoking. What do I do? So the pastor said, You smoking? So it's okay. He said, Ah, Pastor, it's okay. He said, It's okay. I said, I'm smoking. He said, Yes, it's okay. He said, What should I do the next time I feel like smoking? He said, You are the righteousness of God, Christ. Lord. He said, What if I still smoke? He said, Even as you are putting the cigarette in, you're saying it. I'm the righteousness of God. He said, Really? He said, Yes. He said, Even after the, said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, God is my witness. You know, after a few weeks, the same person came back. I said, Pastor, you know, I did exactly what you asked me to do. All of a sudden, I just rolled up one day. And I look at it, I say, I'm the righteousness. Apparently, all it takes is the spirit to be fed enough to rise up. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. There's a strengthening within your inner man. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. That same process comes, you know, it's not willpower. You are not trying to make yourself. So, okay, I got passionate. About, about that, um, you know, one of the challenges we have with the Bible and ministers is we need to really know that there's a divide between the law and grace. Old Testament, New Testament. And it's not just a page in your Bible. It's, it's the death of the testator determines the testament, right? So it's not just that, oh, um, so, so there are some parts of the New Testament side of your Bible that is still Old Testament. Yeah. 
Because until the testator dies, the testament is not in force. So I'm thinking about what you talked about, Jesus speaking to people. He told Christ is the, yes, the grace of God, but he was speaking to people under the law. So when you're interpreting scripture, especially the gospels, you must have that mentality in mind, that picture in mind. Now, speaking of that, um, the Bible says in Acts 20 where you read, the, uh, um, the, um, I, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Now, in, you see people read Joshua 1.8, Psalm 1, this book of the Lord shall not depart out of your mouth, that on their night, you have success, they have good success. You know the story. We are not under the law, we are under grace. Mm-hmm. So what we need to feed on as New Testament believers is not the book of the law. Mm-hmm. It's like using 1944 curriculum to do work of 2018. You will not pass. <laughs> it's like taking expired drug for his disease now. It won't work. So we need to understand how these things work. The word of his grace is food for the man in Christ. So, and what is the word of his grace? The word concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how it works. But you see, believers still struggling with the whole thing. We must know how to see that all scripture point to Jesus. He told the Pharisees, set the scriptures for in the scriptures you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. So what pastor said, I think it's very crucial we know how to, when we stand as on the pulpit to minister as pastors, you are feeding people with the word of his grace. Whether you are reading from Old Testament or New Testament, it must all come back to what Jesus Christ has done. Hallelujah. And, you know, there, there is a communication of grace that can still be achieved through the reading or teaching from the Old Testament. Yes. You know, you know the, uh, in Luke chapter 24, I believe, verse 25, the Bible says, did our hearts not born? born? Yes. What Jesus did was that he revealed himself to those two disciples yeah. on the road to Emmaus using the Old Testament scriptures. So, as a minister of grace, what you do is you make sure you reveal Jesus even in the Old Testament tests. So you preach from the Old Testament in the light of the new covenant because Jesus is all over it. He was the lamb that was slaughtered on the way of, on the way, when, when, Egypt, on the, when the Israelites were on their way out of Egypt. He was the frozen serpent in Numbers 27. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So make sure you communicate it in the light of the new. Don't just go to Balak and Balaam and, you know, and express it. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, I mean, in the charismatic movement, that's, that's been a major issue. There's too much mixture, which is compromising the effectiveness of the gospel. Because you're, like, taking people back to the curse. And you are strengthening sin. That's what you see. Anytime the preaching of the law strengthens sin and releases cause. Yes, sir. So stop cursing your people. Yes, pretenders. So your church will be full of pretenders. Everybody will perfect the act of packaging. 
Hallelujah. You know, Pastor, uh, <laughs> two, three years ago, we were in a pastor's conference. And then uh, it was said, those who have not registered, stand up. And no pastor stood up. <laughs> all liars will find their help. No pastor stood up. We are all men of God here. No pastor stood up. And then the host of the conference said, if you have not registered, come let me register for you. 300 pastors came out. Uh, I, was the, I was moderating the service and I said, that's the difference between law and grace. <laughs> Threatened people, nobody got up. <laughs> but when grace showed up, true repentance came. All right, praise God. All right. Um, in the light of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that says that becoming all things to all men, that by some means I might save some. How do I then practice this without appearing unholy? You know, while trying to be all things to all men so that we can save some, how do I practice this without uh, appearing unholy? You know, without, you know, um, my character being uh, questionable. Number one, becoming all things to all men does not mean you go to a bar and they are drinking and say, yes, I'm supposed to become all things to all men. And you start drinking in order to witness to them. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about bringing yourself to the level of the people on purpose, be deliberate. For example, to the glory of God, I pastor. Did I say pastor? I attend a church in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> they have a pastor. So, but that's where, I, that's where my apostolic seat is. And my staff, I don't have a single African staff apart from my pastor. They are all Americans that were born in America. They have always been of American lineage. And that was deliberate. It was deliberate because, I mean, an environment, for example, thank God for people who are sent to America to reach Nigerians. God didn't send me to America to reach Nigeria. Nigerians are welcome. But he sent me there to reach all men, especially people in that particular community. So I had to be deliberate. Are you getting my point? For example, that's just an example, becoming all things to all men. I might win some. For example, you don't come to a church and sing Igwe. I don't have anything against Igwe. But Igwe, Igwe will not fly. <laughs> <laughs> At King's <Lord> Chicago. Kosova <laughs> Bire. It will not fly. It won't work. You get my point? Because I need, we need to be deliberate. We want to reach them. Then we need to make sure we, we draw them in rather than push them away. So there are things you can do on purpose, even in personal evangelism. You get my point? And that was what Paul was saying because they were going to different groups, different communities. For example, this thing that has caused a lot of controversy, really, thank God, Nigerian church has stepped up. I remember when, when we were in school, it was a major issue. Fellowships that use scarf and fellowships that don't use scarf. Ladies and gentlemen, what Paul was even talking about in 1 Corinthians 11 has nothing to do with scarf. He was talking about veil, which has to do with their custom. And he said categorically, we do not have any such custom in the house of God. But he said, okay, since it's your custom, keep it. 
if it makes you feel comfortable and is part of becoming all things to what? All men. But since in Nigeria, scarf is not our custom. Our grandfathers and grandmothers, they didn't use scarf. So how can scarf now become a custom in the house of God? I don't know how I got there. But by the way, <laughs> but by the way, the point I'm trying to make is this. Now, becoming all things to all men does not mean you should have to compromise. I mean, you know, it just means do anything to reach people. Come to their level. For example, in Pastor Wally's church, they have church I mean, the a church, church on the church on the club. Go, the church on the club. They have a Saturday night service, which is like literally packaged to reach club boys. The Saturdays for those who cannot come on Sundays. Church in the club opens once a month and they taught me shako shako. <laughs> so I can, I can do the shako. <laughs> so, but the truth is about, about that is church in the club reaches out to people on the streets who won't come to our church. So people weave their hair, wear earrings, come, come into the church. Because in the church I pastor, if they come in like that, I have some elders like there are people that work with Archbishop in their 80s. This young pastor, uh, this thing you are doing. <laughs> so, so I would try that. But I need, I need to reach those kind of people. So we have church in the club, and it's crazy. Blue light, yellow light. And we, pre- and we preach the gospel. People get saved. People get slain in the spirit with the Holy Ghost right there in the club. And people come, so it's amazing. I, you know, I went to Hillsong Conference, New York. I and my wife went together. We went for the fifth service. Have you? Jesus. <laughs> I thought I was open-minded. I thought I was at least uh, free. I first, when I first saw the pastor, here was weaving and the hair fell like this. Tight. Ah! Who is this guy? <laughs> then when we entered the church, everything was black. Blue light, green light. Where are we? <laughs> but by the time the power of God came down in that service. No, New York is not Bible Belt. Mm. You don't find, but to see people worshiping God in that church when the person spoke, whoa. Oh. So that's what it means, reaching people where they are. Hallelujah. I have one question. It says, when do we know it is time to rest and let grace meet us? Okay. When do we know it's time to rest? Rest and let grace meet us. When do we know? Yes. Not to start with, you are supposed to be in a rest mood all the time. A new creation is a, is a rest product. You know, he starts his life out seated with Christ. So rest is not what you pursue. Rest is who you are. So you are supposed to be in rest. Anytime you are out of rest, you are, you are literally out of grace and out of faith. I tell people how to know whether you are in faith and grace. Because literally, let's, let's stop separating faith from grace. There is no divide. You know, in the, even in the, there are some places they call them people of his grace, people of his faith. They are, it's one and the same. Now, listen, how to know when you are in grace 
and when you are in faith, check your rest level. Anytime you are agitated, you are anxious, you are afraid, you are panicking, you are not in faith. A perfect example, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. He was in the will of God. Because later on, he said, he said in, I believe in John chapter 10, he said, if you see me do anything, it's because I saw my father do, do it. it yeah. And in fact, I literally carry out what my father says. So the father must have said, now, let's go to the other side. And he announced it. And lo and behold, the Bible says there was a storm of what? Hurricane proportion. But where was Jesus? In the inner part of the boat, asleep, on purpose. I believe Jesus on purpose went to sleep because that's how to deal with storms. When you keep vigil over storm, you lose your authority over the storm. The moment you begin to observe vigil over a storm, you have lost your authority over that storm. The ability to sleep through a storm is what empowers you to tell that storm, peace be still. Because in the first place, the storm was sent to, to push you out of grace. So you, you, you take your position in rest, or you maintain your position in rest, even in the midst of storm. Because that's how to stay in grace and faith. The people that would not sleep through the storm, what happened to them? They could not handle the storm. For Jesus to have said, oh, ye of little faith. That means their panicking impacted their ability to receive grace. So the moment they began to panic and fret and get anxious, their capacity to receive grace was impaired. But Jesus that slept through the storm, woke out of his sleep, and he knew what to say to the storm. You sleeping during a storm does not make you really responsible, but it makes you to stay in grace mode. So, and at the end of the day, you will know what to do to deal with the storm. Peace be still. Just one statement and everything. And the Bible says, and there was a great calm. Never lose your sleep over a storm. So, it's not about how do, I mean, when do we enter rest? It's about staying in rest. In other words, on a daily basis, you must fight to stay in rest. Labor to enter your rest. In fact, that's your number one labor as a new creation. Because rest is your environment. The, what water is to fish, rest is to you. When you take fish out of water, it begins to struggle. When you take a new creation out of rest, it begins to struggle. I don't know what I'm talking to. There's a pastor in building projects. Stay in rest. You are trying to grow your church from 200 to 400. Stay in rest. All this come to service and you are <laughs> vigilating everybody. Yeah. Is everything in place? As if it's your activity that will bring the people. Rest. Stay in rest. So rest mode is your mode. It's not enter out, enter out. It's staying. So it's not, oh, when do we enter rest? No, you are supposed to be in rest all the time. In fact, you are never supposed to come out of rest. Praise God. We have the last one. Let me say this story. Um, just a story by, about the archbishop, my wife's dad. He, he was, um, the person was testifying about this, how they traveled from, was it London or Ghana? I don't know where they traveled from, but from Ghana to Nigeria, I think, and the turbulence was unbelievable. 
heavy turbulence, but said Agushab sat through the flight and he was looking at him. Everybody was panicking. Papa stood, stood sat peacefully in the and they landed in Port Harcourt. And then Papa said, book a flight, we are going to Benin. So he said, Papa, I want to, you want to enter plane again? After what we just experienced. So Papa said, if I don't kill it now, I will never be able to fly again. Hmm. He said, so we we'll enter plane again to, to kill that fear. That fear. So what I'm saying, God, what you said, if you panic and keep vigil over a situation, mm-hmm. You lose your ability to master it. That's right. I mean, for me, that's really... Yeah. <laughs> a, a friend of mine had an experience. I, I can't remember the city he was flying from and the city he was flying to. Apparently, something went wrong with the plane and, you know, the, the pilot was sending, you know, panic message and everybody was panicking. So, so the person, the white guy that sat next to him, I can't remember whether it's a white guy or a white woman, Anyway, started writing stuff in different places and was talking in. So my friend was just looking at him. I thought, like, okay, what's going on here? So after a while, the man couldn't hold it. He said, what's wrong with you? Did you hear they said the plane might crash? So he said, and the plane might crash and we all die. My friend looked at him. He said, you mean you will die? (laughs) So the man woke up. He said, excuse me? I said, you will die. You said we will die, but I corrected you. You will die. And he said, really? He said, yes. He said, I'm just watching you. Because if I thought this plane crashes, what I will do is that I will step over your dead body, come out, and grant a press conference. And I will tell the whole world how Fiake killed you. He said it was at that point that the man woke up. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't mess with fear. Fear is an enemy. You know, nothing, you know, faith, fear tolerated is faith incapacitated. The moment you get into fear, the capacity to draw from grace, you know, just shuts down. So we don't mess with fear. Are you listening to me? We don't what? Mess with fear. Fear is something you keep away. In fact, when the Bible was listing the, the list of people that we end up in Lake Fire, the fearful made the list, top of the list. Because the fear and God's grace, they don't go together. So. Okay. The last question says, some people preach salvation of the soul, and to a large extent, it sounds like self-righteousness. Please expound on salvation of the soul as related to grace. Salvation of the soul. Now, you know, there's a general use of the term, oh, soul saved. 50 souls were saved. Now, if the reference is to that, I don't, I'm not sure if the reference is to that, or the reference is to the renewal of mind. That James chapter 1, verse 23 is talking about uh, to get rid of all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's the way the old King James says it. And, you know, receive with, receive with meekness. The engrafted word, which is able to what? Save the soul. Now, if that is being made, I mean, the, the renewal of mind is not the preaching of the law. It's, it's a part of receiving of the word of his grace. When you receive the word of his grace, he renews your mind. He said it perfectly while he was teaching. It's like, it's like you are enlightening your mind so that your mind can line up with your spirit. You know, your recreated human spirit 
is just like Jesus. Yes, sir. In fact, you technically, your spirit and Jesus are so infused that there's no separation. Yeah. So, you know, a new, when, when we say a new creation is dead to sin, his spirit, which is literally who he is, because we are not this. Yes, sir. I mean, before this can make it there, it has to be transformed. This is not you. The real you is inside. That man is already perfected. But for you to literally bring forth fruits on heart, your mind, which defines your personality here on earth, must now be raised to line up with the perfection of your spirit. And that's why there must be a daily commitment to the renewal of what? Your mind, which is an ongoing process. Keep on saving what? Your soul. As you feed your spirit, simultaneously, your mind is renewed. Are you getting my point? Even the, the, the major part of we saying we are growing our spirits is more of renewing our mind. Because our spirit man was given to us perfected in Christ. So the growth, the spiritual, the so-called spiritual growth is more of saving your soul, renewing your minds. Are you getting my point? And it's not law. It's just the feeding, the word of his grace. Receiving the with enrichment, the engrafted word. Which word? The word of his grace. Which is able to what? Save your soul. It's our commitment as new creations. Because if you are not committed to that, you will not be able to enjoy the new creation life. Yes, sir. You, you'll be so stuffed, or stuffed in your spirit, but will not see it outside. Because your renewed mind we constitute what? A blocking to what you carry. Uh, that's, what, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. Um, speaking from verse 12 downwards, speaking about the law and talking about how even when Moses is still read, people are veiled and how that uh, in the reading of the Old Testament, when it says when you turn to the Lord, Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. the veil is removed and then now the Lord is that spirit and the spirit of God is there is liberty and we all with an open face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, speaking about seeing Christ in the law, seeing Christ in the Old Testament, we are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what Pastor is saying is how, as we keep our focus on the word of his grace, we are changed from one level of glory to another, we are reflecting that Christ character, we are reflecting that Christ nature, as we behold him, we are changing into him. What we are looking at is what we are becoming. That's why as pastors, we must always put Christ before the people so that they are becoming what they are looking at. And as you are changing into that, you are reflecting that same change to those around you. The preceding message was brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. We are located at Kingsword Auditorium, Etel Avenue, behind NNPC Filling Station, First Bank Bus Stop, off Kudarat Abiola Way, Argun, Lagos. Email kmiafrica at kingsword.org. Telephone 234-810-00-00640.